0: And welcome back, everyone. This is the XONE. I am Rob McConnell coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the XONE Broadcast Network, Talk Stream Live, and our growing family of broadcast affiliates right around the world. On all social media sites, XONE Radio TV, my email address is studio at XONE and our radio website, www.xoneradio.com. We're going to be talking to Brandon Callahan this hour. We're going to be speaking to Brandon about his book, The Agony That Remains. Now, born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri, Brandon has traveled the world while serving in the United States Air Force and works to develop new theories with existing ones in the paranormal field to allow for more knowledge and the ability to assist those in need. Brandon grew up with an insatiable desire to learn everything he could about anything mysterious. He has been actively investigating paranormal activity in the field for many years now and has developed a method of tracking potential hotspots, locations throughout the world. Paranormal investigator, author, and aspiring filmmaker, founder and co-founder of multiple paranormal investigation teams, Brandon offers assistance to those in need and constantly seeks the truth. Brandon searches for unique locations and stories to share with the world. And you can find out more about Brandon on his Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Callahan, author. And Brandon, welcome back. How are things with you in the beautiful state of Missouri?
3: Oh, going great, Rob. I, I appreciate you having me back.
0: You know, uh, we've talked about your, your other book entitled The House Where Evil Lurks, but tonight I'd like to talk to you about The Agony That Remains. That's your most recent book. But for our listeners who may not have had the pleasure of listening to you the last time you were with us, Brandon, tell us a little bit about yourself and what was it that inspired you to do the paranormal work that you do today?
3: Well, with your really thorough and fantastic intro, you kind of touch on a lot of it, just in the fact that I grew up uh, really interested in just about anything and everything I could find that had some mystery to it. Mm -hmm. And as I was serving in the Air Force, um, you know, it wasn't a a personal experience that was life-altering or anything, but it was just simply unexplainable. Um, which, you know, basically we were just kind of rummaging through some old ruins in Turkey on the side of the road, and I found myself on a 110-degree day on a staircase that really went ice cold all of a sudden, and I could actually see my breath in broad daylight. Wow. And, yeah, I I just couldn't explain it away, and I couldn't ignore it. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think that was kind of the tipping point, and that that was fairly shortly before I was going to separate from the military, And so when I got back home, um, I really just kind of made the decision. I really wanted to think through it real thoroughly and and have a good approach and get out in the field and really start to, you know, try to see what I could find to explain for myself.
0: How many paranormal investigations would you estimate you have done since leaving the military?
3: Um, Well, you know, uh, most of our cases turn into multiple investigations, Mm -hmm. so I would say total, um, uh, probably about between one, 150, 200.
0: My gosh. And how long does each paranormal investigation take? Is there a ballpark figure or each and every one is so unique that it's impossible to, to give an average?
3: I think the latter, because a lot of times you, you don't know what to expect mm-hmm. on any given night, especially in some of the more, I guess, involved cases that we work. Um, some nights are fairly short, you know, fairly inactive, um, or just due to scheduling or whatever it might be, and then others we've we've gone in well over twelve hours. Wow! Um, when we go to a place just to you know kind of keep the skills sharp and see what we can check out, we've got some little hot spots that we like to go to on occasion. Um, you know that really just depends. I mean sometimes, like I said, we'll we'll pull nearly an all nighter, and other times we'll just be out there for a few hours.
0: Exonation, we're talking to Brandon Callahan this hour here in the Exxon. We're talking about Brandon's new book, The Agony That Remains. And uh, Brandon and I will be back on the other side of the short break as we continue here in the Exone, investigating the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology, Monday through Friday from 11 p.m. Eastern until 2 p.m. Eastern from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. To find out more about Brandon, visit him online at Callahan.com author, and that's on his Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Callahan author. This is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Don't go away.
5: Experience journey trance, power animals, helping spirits, sacred space, and life purpose. Come discover your power. Join me, Gwilda Weyaka, in the magical world of shamanism. Call 303-775-3431 or visit findyourpathhome.com.
0: Brandon Callahan is our special guest this hour at Nation. And we're talking to Brandon about his book entitled The Agony That Remains. Tell us about this book and what inspired you to write it, Brandon.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It kind of stems back to my research that I've been doing for the last six or seven years uh, regarding ley line research. Um, And we had put together a trip, excuse me, that uh, was gonna take us from Kansas City down to New Orleans and back. And we, our plan was to stop in different locations on the way down there and really on the way back. And as it turned out, we had an investigation scheduled in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, on the second night of our trip. And that actually happened to be the one location along the way that sat on a very large cluster of intersecting ley lines. Um, And really, the activity was so, uh, well, just constant, um, it really just kind of stole the show when it came to that trip. And we ended up stopping back by there on our way home from the end of the trip, and it really just almost immediately turned into a project for us, because the two gentlemen that owned the property at the time um, really wanted some answers, and so they really wanted us to kind of stick around and, and continue coming down for a while to see what we could find out. And uh, so really, we it kind of just went from there. And a lot of times I've found over the years, I, I can usually figure out pretty quickly if I think it's going to be something that might be worth writing about or something that's going to be a more extended type of investigation. And uh, this one was a no-brainer.
0: All right, tell us about the paranormal activity that was occurring.
3: Yeah, uh, it started really during the walkthrough when we got to the property. Uh, The property um, is owned by two brothers that uh, had really been supplanted there generations ago uh, through the Trail of Tears that took place when the Cherokee Nation was moved, uh, forcibly moved by the government from the East Coast, and they ended up, in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. So the historical aspect of that was definitely significant from the get-go. And um, so when we were doing our walkthrough, my partner, Jeremiah, actually had seen a full-bodied apparition in the middle of the day. And we had been told almost immediately about oh, just a really countless activity. It, it stemmed from Ghosts, as Jeremiah experienced almost immediately, to demonic-type activity, um, alien activity, UFO sightings, uh, encounters, Bigfoot, little people. Um, Basically, it seemed like they had a little dictionary of paranormal uh, subjects, and they covered pretty much every page. So from the beginning, we kind of just had to accept the fact that we needed to expect the unexpected and really make no assumptions, and really just kind of be on our toes, uh, which which really was proven very correct very quickly.
0: Mm. Is it possible for one location to have multiple uh, paranormal activities happening at the same time?
3: I think not only is it possible, I think it's fairly common. Um Especially when it comes to, at least this has been my finding while doing a lot of this ley line research. I, I believe these locations are, are geographically significant, um, not necessarily by man, but by Earth energy. And I do think that in some instances, they almost act as a conductor for different types of activity. I've found that a lot of times where these intersecting lines are, it's very common to come and in, in, into uh, a lot of reports of creatures in the woods, you know, monsters, Bigfoot, things like that. And almost hand-in-hand hand come stories about a lot of UFO sightings or alien activity. And then when you just kind of couple that with the, the, I guess, more generic haunting-type activity, uh, you know, within this research, I've found these locations to be almost more common than not.
0: So what... what... So when we're looking at this one particular uh, investigation, how many different Mm -hmm. paranormal investigations were you conducting at the same time? Like ghost, hauntings, what else?
3: Right. That that was really the most mind-blowing part is we, at first, we didn't really know where to start because we didn't have all these reports before we got there. And so we kind of had to think on our feet a little bit. And before we knew it, because I had never really spent much time pursuing Sasquatch, you know, I'd never done a lot of Bigfoot hunting or anything like that. Um, and so I kind of just had to wing it a little bit. And I've always had an interest in extraterrestrial activity. Um, I, I do have pretty good, well, I have staunch feelings about uh, intelligent life outside mm-hmm. of this planet. Um, and so that always interests me when I get stories about interaction with aliens and things of that nature. So really, we at first, we kind of just wanted to conduct it as though it was just a normal investigation, except we needed to have our attention in as many areas as we could. So we needed to have our eyes somewhat fixed on the sky. We needed to be outside. We needed to be inside. Um, so we really just tried to space out our time and our equipment dictating as such. Um, and then we just decided that whatever may happen is really what we would focus on at the time.
0: So what, in your opinion, was the focal point of all this paranormal activity?
3: Well, I, I believe that the location in and of itself, even prior to being inhabited by these communities, I believe that was very significant. Um, I'm currently working on establishing potential investigations in a few other locations in the Midwest that are similar. Um, and so I think that was my number mm-hmm. one focal point because, in the end, that was the research I had been doing that brought us down there in the first place. Um, I certainly believe that, due to the dark history, that that may have magnified a lot of the activity. And so I think, you know, understanding. When we went down there, or at least I, I tried to understand um, with that geographical mm-hmm. significance. What I wanted to do was try to develop a little bit better working theory as to whether or not it did in fact exacerbate or even attract a lot of this uh, activity.
0: So what was your what was the main investigation? Was it a power, Well, was it a, a, a UFO investigation? Was it a? Um, uh, a ghost haunting investigation what one did you first focus on
3: well we had to focus on the property and the houses on the right. property because that's where there was there were problems there were physical interactions between unseen forces and huh. the people that lived there uh, so that was absolutely priority one you know and we wanted to just kind of be prepared for anything else mm-hmm. um, but absolutely it, it was a fairly I won't say typical, just because these things really aren't typical. They're all very unique in, right. in certain ways, but um, at first it was more focused on the haunting and the effect of the brothers that had lived there for so long.
0: What was the history of the property?
3: Well, they had it, uh, a, well a lot of the different families of the Cherokee had acreage basically mm-hmm. given to them by the government as almost a form of appeasement or, or payment for what they had gone through following the Trail of Tears. Right. And their family had owned uh, a large amount of acreage right there in that area for a long time. And they had sold bits and pieces off over the generations and the years. So it, it, we were dealing with about 30 acres total.
5: Hmm.
3: But um, but that was that was their property. So they certainly wanted to maintain it. Um, unfortunately, one of the brothers um, fell very ill. Um, he's not in very good health these days,
2: oh, and
3: um, the other brother is really, I think, up in the air as far as whether or not he wants to stay. Which, which really is a little bit heartbreaking because of the history of the land, knowing that so many generations had been there mm-hmm. uh, within their family. So um, that was that was really, you know, for the most part that. The thing was, with the history of the land, there had always been activity. They, they had experienced it so often that they grew up. Right. just right. It was as a daily part of their lives.
0: So what was the final outcome of this investigation, and what were you able to establish, and were you able to bring it to a conclusion?
3: You know, I don't know that that property will ever be free and clear of unexplained activity. Um, we did establish that it was it was my belief, at least, that a lot of progress could be made with your more traditional mm-hmm. Native American type cleansing of the property. Um, now, of course, when when we do this, we can make suggestions, but we can't force anybody to do anything, you know. And so, when it was kind of winding down, I mean, you have to keep in mind that this project went on for over five years,
0: Holy on car. and on.
3: Yeah, we, we've been going down there for years and um, so in the end, I think we had a pretty good idea of what could potentially help on the property. Now keep in mind though, along, along the process there, we also had found solid information that there was a lot of, um, uh, I guess, ritualistic type of activity that had also taken place that, that really, in my opinion, kind of heightened a lot of the the things going on there Mm. and so when it comes to things like that a lot of times it's going to take the people that were involved to really set it back if it is if it's even possible um so we we did try to take some steps towards that um but really in the end um the the ownership of the property i think is somewhat up in the air but um you know, and we we've made some suggestions. I, I can't really say that I would necessarily consider a case closed, though.
0: So, what would happen to a property like this? what do you What do you suggest happen? Do you suggest that the property be bulldozed? Do you suggest that there should be some sort of spiritual ritual to try and cleanse the property? What happens next?
3: That's my opinion. It is some sort of a cleansing. I, I believe would mm-hmm. would go a great. Distance and helping at least the more, uh, I guess, aggressive energies that may be around there on the property. I think that would certainly be helpful. But um, you know, as far as being bulldozed or something like that, I I would hate to see something like that. Um, Whether or not it's whether it's not somewhere that somebody can live for an extended period of time without any trouble. Mm -hmm. I think is next to impossible to say, but I do think step one should be to have it thoroughly cleansed by somebody that has done that before. Um, I'm not clergy, and I'm not, you know, I definitely don't claim to be the person that can cleanse anything and everything, and Mm -hmm. some people do, Um, but that would definitely be my first
4: step personally.
0: The fact that this is on native land, isn't there a shaman or a medicine man that could actually come in and, and help, uh, get rid of whatever it is, is causing the problems.
3: You know, well, it's, it's, it's not on like a, a reservation or anything right. like that. So really it's, it's public. It's, it's privately owned land. I'm sorry. Um, as most of those communities around there are now, mm-hmm. um, But access to people like that, remember that I am kind of Joe Blow outsider. Um, I do not have, I have, I think, one
0: person in my family history that was full blood Well, listen, you and I have to take a, we've got to take a little break here. Please stand by. Brandon, Brandon Callahan is our special guest, and we'll both be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Welcome back everyone. Brandon Callahan is our guest this hour on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Callahan author. Um, Brandon, in your book that uh, we're discussing this hour tonight here on the x um what was so how do how do these people feel that you know that they've they've lost their house? Is there anything that they have done since then to try and regain? The the house from whatever it is is that's causing all the paranormal activity. And what did your research into the into the past of the house bring you, you know, show you that could possibly have caused this uh, this paranormal activity?
3: Yeah, well, there there are a couple structures on the property, mm-hmm. one of which was so dilapidated that it's no longer able to be lived in whatsoever. As a matter of fact, even going inside that particular house at this point is waiver-worthy. And so the other house that really could still be functional is currently being worked on, um, and I believe it is one of the brothers' intent to stay there as best he can. Um, Most of the in-house extreme activity was in the house that's basically falling on itself right now um as far as cause and effect um you know we had uncovered facts of voodoo and witchcraft type rituals uh, that had occurred on the land mm-hmm. um which really when it came to the native american lifestyle post trail of tears one thing that i had to really wrap my head around was just what a cutthroat and tough environment it was um it wasn't uncommon for clans to clash with each other and a lot of times the way they would do that is they would cast spells they would practice dark magic they would practice bad medicine Um, and so that's when you when you really start to dive into that aspect of it you have to understand that you know these things can be so powerful that some things that have been done just simply can't be undone And you know not having my magic wand with me Mm -hmm. it was more just trying to learn everything that we could and then do as much research as we could to try to find something that could at least calm things and so that was really our goal um but you know to a certain extent again a lot of that onus falls on the property owner because they need to really take ownership and control of the situation more than somebody like me coming in from the outside.
0: Sure is. Is it part of their problem, or should I say, is in your opinion, the haunting part of the problem caused by the last tenants, or is there a history of paranormal activity that you were able to track back through time?
3: Well, I do believe. I, I do believe that there was activity in this area long before they were. Mm-hmm. Um, I also believe that, well, I I know that through the family, there had been different practices that certainly could have uh, really given rise to a lot of that activity. And so, you know, without kind of going too into detail, um, you know, understanding when you're finding evidence of uh, rituals and you know, sort of magic, things like that, you, you really quickly develop the understanding that some of the damage is self-inflicted.
0: So how do you, how do, how do you deal with the after effects of a paranormal experience with people who, who have no idea what's going on or why it's going on? There must be a psychological effect on the people who resided in that house.
3: Oh, there's a psychological effect on me. Now the way I, the way I equate a place like that is think of it in, in the perspective of jumping into the pool with your clothes on. Mm -hmm. And when you get out of the pool, you don't have a towel to dry off. There's no air blowing, no nothing. You're just going to be wet for a while. And when you dive into this type of energy and it's that thick and it's that potent, it takes a while really to, I guess, in a way, dry off once you're gone. Um, and in a lot of in a lot of ways, I think I may have developed permanent side effects from that particular case. And so, with them having been there for so long, you know, I I think that there is damage done. There's psychological damage done. There's you know emotional damage done. And I think at that point, they they really need to make a decision as to whether they want to get serious about trying to rid the property of whatever's there or at least calming things down or maybe make a decision as to whether or not it's worth it, whether or not they need to stay.
0: Well, what would you suggest people do if they feel that there might be a paranormal presence in their house? Is there anything that they should do and is there the possibility that if they do something that is not recommended by paranormal researchers, they could actually make the Make the event worse.
3: Oh, you can make it a lot worse. Absolutely. In my opinion, what I would first start to do is I would do a lot of research. And specifically, I would do a lot of research on the people that could potentially come into my home. Because I have seen many paranormal investigators, quote unquote, mm-hmm. that really have no business going into these homes because they can't keep their own stuff wired tight. How are they going to go into somebody else's home and maybe not make it worse themselves? Um, So I do believe that there are a lot of researchers out there that can do some good for these people. I like to think of myself as one of them mainly because I'm honest. You know, I've got no agenda. If I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you I don't know the answer. Now, I'll do some research and try to find an answer, but a lot of people assume they have all the answers, and I think in a lot of ways that can hurt as well so first thing i would say do a whole lot of research on anybody that you're asking help from and then i would also talk Mm -hmm. to whomever it is whether it like you said a shaman a medicine man a priest or whomever it is that you are spiritually connected to um i i think they can a lot of times lead you in the right direction
0: why do you think? Why do you think that there is so much paranormal activity happening in the world today? Is it just because we have more access to information, or is it because there is actually something happening where there's a battle between the paranormal and the, this side of reality?
3: You know, it, it, this is where the lunatic in me comes out, I guess. But I feel like we are. I feel like the veil is extremely thin right now Mm -hmm. uh, between dimensions, between worlds, between uh, intelligent life. Um, And to be honest with you, Rob, I I truly believe that as a culture and as as a people, I believe our collective conscience can be so powerful that it truly can have either a positive or a negative effect, not only on our homes, but the entire world. And to be honest with you, all you've got to do is watch your local news for 10 minutes and understand that the vast majority of us are subjected to such negativity and, and such just doom and gloom that it, it, it's almost impossible to come by somebody that says at some point they don't feel somewhat depressed. And when you have a society and a culture that is depressed, you know, the thing is, is, that's what that's what these negative energies feed on, is depression and, and anxiety and anger. They feed on it. Mm-hmm. And so when, when every single one of us has these problems, I do believe that it can have a very large effect on on all of us. its I don't think it's site-specific at all.
0: The fact that there's so much information available on television, radio, and in print is this causing a, a resurgence of the paranormal? And how much of the resurgence of the paranormal is real compared to... I,
3: You know, I'll tell you what, Rob, I, I think that it causes a lot of assumptions. Mm-hmm. I think it also causes a lot of so-called experts to come into light, where when it comes to Paranormal research, I I feel like the word expert is not only overused, but it's it's laughable that it's even hardly ever used. Because the bottom line is, even the person that's been doing this for 50 years can't give us an exact answer. I mean, that's just a fact. And, you know, the last I checked is, if you're an expert on something, you can explain it, you can tell me all about it, you can fix it, you can diagnose it. But I don't know anybody that can do that.
0: Neither do I. But,
3: again, there's so-called experts everywhere. Um, And so I think a lot of people have an assumption that all activity is demonic or, you know, all activity requires an exorcism. Um, So I think it kind of feeds a little bit of the paranoia that goes around. Um, I think it's a good thing, but I also think that people need to understand that there's a lot of work and research that goes into the real work. Um, and it's not just something you learn on an hour-long TV show. It, I mean, it, you just can't do it. A
0: lot of people these days, like you just pointed out, think that they can become paranormal investigators by watching these television shows, which, in my opinion, are anything but reality shows. Paranormal investigationists are a lot like police work. Surveillance. Sometimes you get activity, sometimes you don't. Um. When people are looking for places to learn, how should they gauge those that are credible and those that are not?
3: You know, that's a tough question to answer because those that are not Mm -hmm. are typically very good at hiding the fact that they're not until it's too late. Um, You know, so what I would say, if you want to experience something, first of all, You don't fancy yourself an investigator. You don't necessarily want to, I guess, fix the world or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Um, Do some historical research on local places. Find the obvious stories. The site of a battle. The site of a massacre of sorts. The site of, you know, a, a... I think a lot of people do it with these old hospitals and things like that. But right. find something that may more or less provide some sort of residual energy or residual effect, something that's not necessarily intelligent. Um, and, and research it first so you know your history and go and try to experience something. But keep, keep your mind open. Don't make any assumptions. Don't assume that just because you read that this place is the most haunted place in the world, that it is in fact haunted. You really don't know until you see it or experience it. But as far as if you're looking to interact with other people, I think you almost have to just really trust your gut. Um, I'm fortunate to be, or at least I've, I I fancy myself a pretty good judge of character, um, so I haven't really had a whole lot of problems in that in that way but i also keep my circle very very tight very close and very small um it's not that i don't like interacting with other investigators i I absolutely do um but when it comes to the real work that i do I'm, i'm just extremely picky about who i work with and to be honest with you the people that i work with for the most part had never had anything to do with it until we decided to go out and do it um and these are people that I just knew had a skill set that would bring something to the table. And they were also like-minded people that just simply wanted to find answers. And nobody was out there making assumptions.
0: All right, stand so by, my friend. I got friend. lucky, really. Okay, stand by. We've so got to take our final... be fi- very
3: careful and trust your gut.
0: All right, we've got to take our final break. We'll be back on the other side. Brandon Callahan is our special guest. He's the author of The Agony That Remains. For more information about Brandon, visit facebook.com forward slash Callahan author. This is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We'll be back after this break. Don't go away
2: you know that when you're on the road with limited data or wi-fi you can still listen to the Zone radio show with rob mcconnell the science of magic with guilda wiaka high tech with Corey k and every minute of the 24 7 365 programming of the Zone broadcast network by calling 712-432-9459 courtesy of talk stream live
0: Brandon Callahan is our guest on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Callahan author. Um, Brandon, now let's talk more about that case uh, because, you know, I, I talked to you briefly during the break and I'll I'll tell you with so much paranormal activity going on, was that house on a ley line or something or was there anything else that you could connect to the to the paranormal activity that was occurring there? I mean, besides the the fact that it was on, you know, this this horrific Indian uh, guilt, uh, guilt trip present that the United States government gave to the, the people of the First Nations.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, I, as far as, I guess, what the cause, um, again, I, I truly feel that the proximity of the ley lines, which really, as I look at my map, Palakwa is sitting, you know, within a couple miles of this intersecting cluster of lines. Mm-hmm. And I am pretty well sold that, that has a lot to do with it, especially the activity of creatures and aliens and things of that nature. Uh, when it came to a lot of the hauntings, the, the land was... Pretty wrought with tragedy as well over the years, as you'll certainly read about in the book. Um, There had been instances of people really just losing their minds. Um, There was at least one suicide. We also suspected quite a few unmarked graves, um, which we later actually called in. Uh, We actually had ground-penetrating radar equipment. one of my partners, Jason, he's a medium, and he had told me where he felt like we needed to do the GPR research where he thought these unmarked graves were. And sure enough, it came to find out that almost exactly where he said we had some questionable results. And we weren't able to actually dig because of the state of the land at the moment, uh, legal issues and things like that. But, uh, you know, I, it led me to believe that a, a combination of all kinds of history and, and occurrences had really lent itself to it, not the least of which was just the the i guess conscious decision to uh, dabble in different sorts of voodoo and magic hmm.
0: um, how how important is a person's religious beliefs when it comes to paranormal investigations, or is there no connection whatsoever?
3: Well, personally, it's important to me. I think that's something that everybody has to answer to their own. Um. Um, I personally believe that I am protected. Um, I have had bad occurrences in the past of things coming home with me, and uh, you'll read about that in the house where evil lurks. Um, But since then, since that occurrence, you know, I really... Got back to my faith in a big way, and I do think it's extremely important. Um, But, you know, I work with and interact with people of all religious backgrounds and beliefs, and I don't judge any of them, and Mm -hmm. I, I really feel like whatever is your comfort zone, whatever you feel gives you that spiritual protection, I think anything's possible, really. So I think that question really needs to be answered by each individual as an individual.
0: So, when you go out doing paranormal investigations, what do you do that protects you from bringing something negative back home with you?
3: You know i do carry I do carry certain stones with me that I think help A friend of mine along the way years ago had just made a recommendation, and again it's not it these stones don't have anything to do with my particular mm-hmm. religion, um, but because it was given. In the context in which they were I I felt like it helped and I do believe that it does help and I cleanse them when I get home Um, so that's part of it and then the other part really is just holding my faith as close to me as I do Um, and so so far so good on that front Um, I do try to stay as spiritual as I can and especially in instances like this when you're dealing with Native American um, history and culture uh, to me, you have to allow yourself to see it from the big picture, to see it from their perspective, and to at least try to understand uh, where they're coming from, because these people suffered atrocities that are way beyond words. You know, I do the best I can in the book, but but I can't understand that. I mean, that's, that's the type of thing that nobody can really fathom. People think they know about war until they actually see a war, you know? It's, sure. it's just like... People, you know, people that weren't slaves back in the day when slavery was rampant and the way they were treated. I mean, we can't understand that because we could not personally experience it. So I try my best to really keep that open mind and to try to, I guess, drink in that perspective as best I can. And sometimes it's dangerous and sometimes it's heartbreaking. And, but it's just something that I think is really important.
0: What about UFOs? Uh taking off the track just of your book uh sure. we don't we don't hear about ufos in the uh in the news anymore or we haven't in a long time what's going on
3: right well you don't hear about anything that uncle sam doesn't want you to hear about i mean that's that's pure and simple i mean that you know i was lucky enough to do certain work mm-hmm. while i was in the military that allowed me information and and You know, I I can't talk about a lot of it, but at the same time, I mean, I know what I know and I, I keep that close and I use that to help develop my theories. But to me, when it comes to extraterrestrials and aliens, to me, even allowing yourself to consider the size of this space, the size of this universe, galaxy, whatever it might be, To think that this tiny little planet is the only thing with intelligent life on it looking to potentially interact with something else, that's one of the most arrogant things I can possibly think of, to be honest with you.
0: You know, I I understand that that Uncle Sam can hide anything he wants to. I understand that. But we're talking about a worldwide uh, closure, a worldwide um, button-lipped way of, of... of talking about UFOs, like nothing is coming out of anywhere. Just not the United States, but anywhere.
3: You know, and I've also heard that that there are certain people in power that Mm -hmm. may be close enough to taking the reins and allowing some of these things to get out in the public. Um, I've read articles about the Pope Mm -hmm. almost wanting to talk about this sort of thing. Who knows what our government might have up its sleeve? I mean anything to distract and and to try to implant more thoughts. But to me, I agree with you the fact that the personal experiences are few and far between, but the problem is is it's hard to tell between what has been doctored and what's real because a lot of people just seek the attention as opposed to the truth. And so you just simply have to check your sources. And, And for me, that's why I go out there. You know, that's exactly why I go out there because if you tell me, Rob, that you saw this, I can't a hundred percent buy into it because I didn't see it with you. Exactly. And so, bottom line is, Rob, I get off my butt and I go out and I do it myself.
0: But well, once again, how many people will actually get off their butt and go out and do an investigation instead of just sitting <laughs> on their, you know, sitting on their laurels and um, uh, just, you know, they're, they're like quarter. Yeah, what are they called? Um, uh, Monday morning Armchair quarterbacks. Yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah, no, there's a lot of that that goes on. And you know what? I respect anybody for doing what they do and believing what they believe. Mm-hmm. I'm not out there trying to turn skeptics into believers. That's not my job. Because right. really, a true skeptic, nine times out of ten, they're more or less just looking for people to do the work for them. It's real easy to sit there and say, no, you can't prove that. Prove it for me. Well, Hey, hi. That's not my job. I yeah, mean, if, exactly. if you don't care, then don't care. But I'm out there trying to figure out what's real.
0: Hmm. And there's a lot out. There's a lot of mysteries out there too to go through. You, uh, we got about two minutes left, and another big topic that once again we don't hear anything about or very little about is Bigfoot. Mhm. Any ideas?
3: Well, for me, I have a very different outlook on Bigfoot. A lot of the so-called Bigfooters, Um, you know, if I'm out there and I believe that Sasquatch is a possibility, Mm -hmm. you're not going to really see me knocking on wood and and hooting and hollering. Um, To me, I feel like while we were down there, I felt like we have recordings that suggest that Bigfoot, nine times out of ten, or a Sasquatch-type creature, nine times out of ten is communicating in the same method that we capture EVPs. I believe that a lot of their communication is not audible to our ears, and so you can listen to it. Um, and so for me, a Bigfoot is more of an interdimensional being, you know, they call it the king of hide and seek or whatever it might be. Um, but in my opinion, we're not dealing with something that's just hunkered down in the woods 24 seven. I, I just don't believe that. Um, but I do believe that things can come and go via dimensions. Um, how that's done, I don't know. That's part of the research, but for me, I feel like it's more of a spiritual being, an interdimensional being, than it is necessarily a physical creature that's sitting out there in the woods.
0: Whatever it is, it's strange, it's wonderful. And listen, our time is up for tonight, uh, Brandon. As always, great talking to you, my friend. Congratulations on your new book. And hey, do me a favor. Thank Come you. on back anytime. It's great talking to you.
3: Darn right. Anytime, Rob. I really appreciate you having me. All right. you on, take. A good night.
0: All right. And uh, Brandon, quickly, where can people get a copy of your new book?
3: Anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, in the stores, online. you you Google it, you'll find it, guaranteed.
0: And of course, from the good people at Llewellyn as well.
3: Absolutely, yes, sir.
0: All right, you take care of yourself, young man. Look forward to the next time you and I meet. Thank you, have a good night. You too now. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. This is a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Brandon Callahan was our guest. Great guy. Check out his his Facebook page Facebook.com forward slash author. No, Callahan author. That's it. We'll be back. Don't go away.